Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From our newsroom in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Standard. When Afua Hirsch hit 40 years old, she had an encounter that made her rethink her own and society's attitudes towards body image and ancestry. That's now the basis of her new book, Decolonising My Body, which follows her year-long journey through what she calls radical unlearning. In part two, we'll have an exclusive extract from the audiobook read by Afua herself. And you'll also find a written extract at standard.co.uk right now. There's a link in the show notes. Afua was interviewed by Sagal Mohammed. I'm Sagar Mohammed, and today we're here with writer and journalist Afua Hirsch to discuss her second book, Decolonising My Body. What does that look like and what does that mean? Well, I approached it from a really personal perspective, but basically I think I'm known for my work about the world, about how systems of power, race, gender, how identity works in the world around us. And I began to realise that some of the ideas that I really believe in and advocate about life out there, I wasn't really applying to myself. And that I actually still had some quite problematic thinking about my relationship with my body, about aging, about sexuality, about death, about really personal, intimate things, but very foundational things that we all go through. Um, so I, w- I wanted it to be honest and relatable. And I, I realised as I was struggling with a lot of these things that we all are. I mean, when I looked at the source of some of my problematic ideas, I realised it was society. It was the media, it was the class system, it was my education, uh, it was globalisation. It was so many of the forces that have shaped our reality. And I think because they're so omnipresent, they can be invisible. You talk a lot about how you've absorbed these beauty standards, and a lot of us do, young women of colour, yeah. when we live in the Western world or what we see in the media. What were some of those kind of ideas or ideals of beauty that you absorbed? I think that we all come from traditional cultures and knowledge systems, depending on how far back you go, that have a very different way of looking at what it means to be beautiful or successful, as a woman in particular. And we've lost our relationship with many of those ideas. And, and in many cases, that's been very deliberate. So when I talk about decolonizing my body, many ancient value systems have been kind of systematically dismantled or erased. And the impact on that has been really bad for women. And I really applied that to my own life. For example, I realized that I come from a lineage on my mother's family who come from Ghana, where aging is regarded as 
a successful thing to happen to you. As you become older, you become more valued by your society. You accumulate more status, more power, and you are considered more beautiful and interesting and worthy as you get older. So aging is aspirational in that society. I grew up in a world where aging is bad. You try to do everything you can to stop it. You don't tell people your real age. You might start embracing many procedures and products that help you try and artificially hide or prolong your body's natural state of aging. And when I looked at those two traditions, I thought I could either choose one that goes like far back into my ancestry that really celebrates this process, or I could choose one that makes me feel bad about the natural changes happening to my body. And when I thought about it like that, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, why would I choose the thing that makes me feel bad about myself versus the thing that is rooted in generations of my ancestors? When did you kind of have that reckoning where you thought, okay, which one, like, how, how do I pick one? So and I turned 40 and a lot of the people in my life were beginning to, at that age, start to have cosmetic procedures, <laughs> operations, surgical interventions to try and prolong uh, their youth. And in some cases, it's almost necessity. I mean, if you work in the media, if you're an actor or a TV presenter, you face an actual career penalty for beginning to visibly age. It's, it's not just, it would be nice to look younger. It's <laughs> like, I might lose my job if I don't look younger. And I really ha had a lot of empathy for the fact that people were going through that and began to question myself, should I be thinking about this? If I want a career in the public eye? Meanwhile, in my family, my, my Ghanaian family, I have always been raised with this idea that traditional practices of scarification and tattooing, which stretch back to ancient and even prehistoric times, actually in almost all cultures, I mean, whether you look to the Arctic or the Amazon, to West Africa or the Middle East or East Asia, it's, it's fascinating how widespread these traditions of scarification and tattooing are. And I was raised to regard those as kind of backward, you know, something that colonialism helped us overcome and become more modern and westernised in our thinking. And suddenly I had this epiphany where I thought, I regard it as problematic to mark your body in an ancient traditions that connect you to your community and your identity. But I think it's perfectly fine to go under a surgeon's knife to artificially look younger than you are. Like yeah. something has gone wrong here. Why does that make sense? But to do something that helps you ground yourself in a culture and a purpose, that seems taboo to me. Mm -hmm. And it was, for me, a, a, just a great example that helped me contextualize how illogical our thinking is. There's no basis in reason for thinking one form of marking your body is bad and another is good. It's just what society has conditioned us to believe. Mm -hmm. So that really set me on a journey of understanding why does my family regard its own ancient traditions as something you want to move on from? Why have I been conditioned to look at it that way? Why have I never questioned the idea that one of these practices is bad when it could probably be quite good for me and the other is good when it's probably quite bad for me? And I began to see the whole thing unravel in that moment. and. Uh, I celebrated turning 40 by getting a tattoo, which is inspired by ancestral traditions in my Ghanaian culture. And I think I'm the first woman in many generations of my family to revert to those ancient practices. Wow. So it felt like quite a profound way to mark my personal journey. You speak about your encounter with Oprah. I do. Yes, <laughs> in, the, in, the first, in the first section of the book. Um, and, you know, she, you asked her a really really, really important question, I think, and really brave question, um, which was, you know, how to navigate hostility in, yeah. you know, 
environments where you are, you know, advocating and doing all the work that you're doing. And she gave you a really lovely, simple, but also like necessary, I guess, um, answer, which was to prioritize filling yourself up. Yeah. Um, How do you fill yourself up? Yeah, well, that's even the question is something she helped me with Mm. because I'm somebody who uh, I'm not anti-self-care or wellness I just didn't really connect with that conversation very well I think I remember when people used to ask me like how do you self-care you you go on to on the news talking about racism how do you self-care and I was always like I don't understand the question (laughs) Um, I think I'm like many of us I am from generations of exhausted women generations of women who were socialized to believe their duty was to deplete themselves Mm -hmm. by caring for others, by working, by supporting families, by donating their labor and bodies to the economy in ways that often felt very non-negotiable. I think for women of color, colonialization and globalization have been particularly punitive. And this idea that in order to make it, you have to work harder and longer and do everything, continue your domestic responsibilities, but perform in the economy. And I was raised with that mindset. So it was harder for me to really understand the concept of taking time for myself. And I think there's also this skepticism that it seems a bit indulgent. There's so many problems in the world. There's so much inequality. There's so much unfairness um, that taking time out to restore yourself seems narcissistic and excessive. And I think what Oprah helped me do was go on this journey where I was able to connect caring for yourself with a much more radical project of being part of communities who are about that change and who are about that progress, rather than a kind of individualistic thing where you just opt out of the struggle while you have a nice massage. There's more from the extended version of Sagal Mohammed's interview with Afro Harsh on the Standard's YouTube channel. Stay here for part two and that exclusive extract from her book, Decolonizing My Body. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You heard Afua Harsh talking about her meeting with Oprah Winfrey in the interview there with Seagal. Here is an extract from the audiobook of Decolonizing My Body about that very encounter. If the pledge represented the casual hostility and the caucasity of the spaces we occupy as black people on network TV, then... The Wrinkle in Time premiere was a soothing panacea. I hadn't actually realised how much I was struggling until that moment in the film premiere auditorium. 
Here I was, surrounded by black women in the audience, watching a film created, directed and produced by black women, looking at a panel of some of the most iconic black women in the world. There were white women too, the actress Reese Witherspoon and the writer Lorraine Candy, who actively identified as allies. To say it felt like a safe space is an understatement. As the Q&A started, I felt my hand lifting. It was that surreal moment of quiet when a talk has just finished, the floor has been open for questions, and everyone is still either feeling shy, not wanting to be first, or still thinking about what they wanted to ask. To my surprise, I was apparently crystal clear. My hand shot up. I went for it, and Lorraine clocked my determination. My question was for Oprah. I may have fangirled for just a second, but I'm pretty British at moments like this and very restrained. What is your advice to those of us speaking up and telling the truth in spaces that seem to be getting increasingly hostile? I asked Miss Winfrey. I'm so inspired by the work you've done, by your determination to be heard, to create space for so many of our stories, I said. But sometimes fighting for this, it feels so depleting. I remember wanting so badly to add some of those imposter-laden conditionals that as women we so often employ, if that makes sense, or if you know what I mean, but I bit my tongue. I was speaking to Oprah. I would not model insecurity here. I was about to flop back down in my seat, but Oprah didn't skip a beat. Her response demanded that I remain standing. She asked my name. I told her. Fill yourself up, Afwa, she said. She was pointing at me, raising me up with her hand gestures and her words. You need to build spiritual muscle. Just like if you wanted to lift physical weights, you'd be in the gym, training, getting stronger. To do this work, Oprah continued, this ancestral work of telling our stories and our truth, you need to be spiritually ripped. Focus on that as if your life depends on it. I don't know what I was expecting to hear, but this message resonated at a cellular level. I was still processing it, slightly dazed and definitely overwhelmed, when I walked into the after party. I saw a few people I knew. We bonded over how impactful Oprah's words had been. There are so few black women on TV news in the UK. I think most of us were there that evening. We digested Oprah's exquisite advice together, how much it was a message we all needed to hear. We chewed the fat for the whole evening. One woman in the audience had asked Reese Witherspoon a question and admitted she'd been so inspired by Legally Blonde, she'd actually submitted her application to law school on perfumed paper. The entire event had been amusing, fun and uplifting. Working in news is rarely as glamorous as people think. This was one of those exceptional times when it really was. Then, out of nowhere, I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. Facing me was Oprah. Definitely Oprah. She was wearing a black scoop neck top and a sweeping plaid skirt, her hair snatched by a leather corsage belt. Her hair was swept into a sleek, bouncy ponytail face framed to perfection with thick-rimmed black glasses. I remember thinking how stunning, how stylish she was in the flesh. 
but my brain still had to catch up with what my eyes were telling me, that she had come up to me. It's hard to express quite how surprising this was, and it dawned on me very slowly that, after my question in that big auditorium, Oprah was seeking me out. Did you understand what I told you? Oprah asked me. There was no small talk. And, as ever, she didn't miss a beat. At this point, I have no idea how I was arranging my face. The work you are doing is important, but I am telling you that your survival, your survival, she emphasised this, in case I was in danger of missing its importance, depends on building spiritual muscle. I told Oprah I understood. Good, she said, good. A crowd had formed around us. Other people, mostly women, mostly black, gathering to share this precious advice. Oprah had sought me out because she wanted to make extra sure that I, that we, had got the message. The message reached me. It felt like an almost supernatural intervention. I began to think less about my role in feeding the endless cycle of comment, opinion and clickbait, and more about my purpose. I began to think less about Brexit's regulatory and tariff obstacles for a trade deal with the EU, and more about ancestral memory. I began to think less about how populists were ripping apart political consensus and institutions that, in truth, were never formed with someone like me in mind, and more about the wisdom and lessons from societies that were. Oprah reminded me that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are elders and ancestors who have been doing this work and leaving a legacy to guide us. As I paid more attention to these questions over time, I began to sense a collective shift. Afua Hirsch's Decolonizing My Body, a radical exploration of rituals and beauty, is published by Square Peg and available now. Head over to standard.co.uk for the latest news, interviews and analysis. This podcast will be back tomorrow and every weekday at 4pm. Tomorrow, actually, we're going to be talking with our culture team about the shortlist for the Evening Standard Theatre Awards, which are being held at Claridge's next month. See you then. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.